Welcome to Philosophical Entertainment, a podcast where if you're not philosophically entertained, our entertainment is only philosophical. <laughs> My name is Matthew Mansfield, and I'll be your host for today's episode. It's a special episode because this is totally out of step with what we had initially planned. There's no guest, there's no co-host, it's just me. And I'm going to call this my special holiday episode. You see, when I when I set out to do this podcast, it was going to be a six-part series, and I had it all spelled out. There was this special message that I wanted. And we recorded the second episode. It was great. We had a street epistemologist on as a guest, and things were just wonderful. I haven't gotten around to editing it because my computer bricked on me. And so <laughs> I've been saving up. I finally saved up enough to get this decent computer that can keep up with it all now. But since we recorded that that second, that last episode that I had done, and now a lot has transpired. I went on a healing yoga retreat to Mexico, and I healed through so much. And in that, the journey, in that process, I, I met some great people there. In fact, one of the gals that I met there, her name was Tanya, she heard my story or parts of my story about my near-death experience, and she was really intrigued. So she wanted to sit down and she interviewed me. And we walked through elements of my near-death experience. And if I'm going to be honest, it would take me hours, probably six, eight hours, just to walk somebody through that experience. So with Tanya, the interview didn't last that long. In fact, I think we only sat down for a little over an hour. And we talked about a lot of different things, but I just edited her audio that she gave me, that she recorded from it. I edited it down to just some of the more poignant aspects of my near-death experience and, uh, and also of some things that I had healed through while I was at the retreat. And I, I wanted to share them with you during this time, during this holiday time, this holiday season. Some history for me, I worked in law enforcement for over 17 years and in law enforcement, it's, there's a lot of dark humor and they label Thanksgiving and Christmas as suicide season. And it's really true, the numbers just spike during this time of year. And I wanted to be vulnerable and share with you some very personal parts to me to give those who might not be doing so well during this season some hope that maybe you can reframe things, maybe we can reframe things together so that you're not focusing on the wrong aspects of life. And by that I mean framing. When you look at a picture frame, say you have this beautiful, this beautiful picture of your family and you want to frame it on your wall, but your frame is actually pretty small. So you have to bend the picture back around and you end up just framing yourself, <laughs> framing yourself on your wall. And whenever you look at it, the framing is you. But if you were to take it out of that frame and expand it, the picture actually includes more. And that's reframing. And that's what I want to do with you by sharing this with you, is it to help you reframe what you're experiencing. It's not just you, and you're not alone. There's more love, and there's more elements to this picture than you're considering. And so that's why I want to record this out-of-step podcast special holiday episode to help, to help you do some reframing. And so without further ado, my interview with Tanya. You're free to start wherever you'd like, whatever you're feeling now. 
if you're having trouble deciding what that is, sometimes just your decision to come, and then we can talk about your experiences. Okay. I'm not sure if there's a format for talking about it, but I suppose I could... The most logical place would be to start at the beginning. <laughs> I guess I've learned a lot about myself throughout this trip. I learned about you guys through my acupuncturist in Tempe, Arizona. When I found her, I, I was wearing diapers. I couldn't control my bowels. I would have up to 28 bowel movements a day and they were uncontrolled. I, I was suicidal. I knew I didn't want to take my own life, but my body I was very suicidal. I had worked in law enforcement and everything long enough I understood what suicidal ideations are and all that. In my case, the suicidal thoughts were from a depleted gut. I didn't know anything I didn't know anything about gut health. I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. Katie was her shoulder was hurting or something and she was going to go to an acupuncturist and she just googled the closest one and she asked, "Do you want to come?" And I said, why not? I feel like I've tried everything. I've gone to every doctor. And they all would just say it's, what is the generalized irritable bowel syndrome? Yeah. And I thought, well, that doesn't help anything. So I went to the acupuncturist. And over time, it was over a year of treatment with her, like a year and a half. And she just slowly through multiple sessions, it was three sessions a week. It would like just barely hold my body together until I could see her again. Wow. She taught me just, you know, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, I, I would pick up some things. She taught me about a bunch of different herbs. I've gone through multiple cycles of different kinds of herbs, so I've graduated from these up to those, and I don't need them anymore, but for a long time I really did, and over time she slowly taught me how to feed myself like I just wasn't eating right so I, I had that my fitness pal app and I would monitor what I was eating and I was taking in too much sugar and I didn't know I was allergic to lactose at the time not allergic but when I had my heat stroke episode my bowels ended up just getting completely gored out so I had nothing in there to to process so you would take like a bite of food and it would come out the bite of food she taught me how to live and eat in balanced ways. She taught me how to create this amazing chicken bone broth that I drink three times a day. And in there we would put various herbs and I would eat celery and I did her whole routine and I did it religiously. <laughs> she brought me back from a really dark place. She's adopted me like as her son. <laughs> and I've adopted her as my mom. And so I go to her pretty much for anything. So I went to her and just a blubbering idiot, you know. <laughs> she lays me on the table, puts all the needles in and just calms me down and we talk a lot. And then she told me about this place. I truly thought I was coming for Katie. Because um, Katie is very narcissistic. I had my near-death experience when I was 38. I think it was enough to get me here. It was the paradigm shift, I think, that I needed to show me that I wasn't living 
my best life because I was, I was not choosing love in all things. Instead, I was choosing fear and I was living my life in fear. I made a lot of changes since that experience. I found Katie and I found this acupuncturist and this, this healing path that I'm on. But I, I guess my, my experience taught me about love and, I, and I'm always teaching the kids or I don't know if it's teaching anymore or if it's his dad on his soapbox, but I'm always sharing that we should love without delay and we should choose love in all things. At some point, Katie just took my message as static and mocks it. I thought bringing her here could introduce her to a path that could teach her how to love herself because I realized I don't know if she's capable of loving me if she can't love herself. I didn't realize that maybe I was telling myself a story that I was here for her, but I really do feel like I got more out of this than I was expecting. I think my experience yesterday really shifted my perspective about myself. Uh, like I had shared with others, it was as if somebody, the universe, stopped me and asked me, are you carrying all of this baggage because you have to or because you're just used to it? And I realized that I'm carrying a lot of this because I've been used to carrying it. Yesterday I had the chance to lay some of the baggage down and not feel obligated to carry it anymore. I feel like the mental correction of the way that I would view my mother, the way I view her now, has changed so drastically that I feel like I'm a completely different person. Wow. There was always that low-grade uh, search in the back of my mind to find home, and the low-grade search was like, um, I don't know how you explain that, just like when you're, truly, when you're looking for somebody to date when you're single, how would you express in words that low-grade feeling you have when you still check people out? Like, I don't know what that is or what that's called, but you, in the back of your mind, you look at things or, or people as potential opportunities for a connection or for a relationship. I have always had that low-grade, in-the-background, searching feeling for home. It's always made me feel very unsettled. I didn't realize that until my experience yesterday. And the experience was of my drowning when I was a toddler. I remembered so vividly that when I was drowning and I took the water on, it was the most peace I had ever experienced up until that point in my life. The light that came to me from the bottom of the pool and surrounded me and welcomed me home. And I was home. In that whole experience, I, I wanted nothing more than to go to it. And my mother was the one who pulled me out of the pool. And so from that young age, I built resentment toward my mother because she didn't let me go home. And, then, and ever since then, I've been looking for home and I can't seem to find it here. 
And the perspective correction for me was to realize that death is going home. And I don't feel like I need to search for it anymore because I know home will come for me when it's time. So instead of a low-grade searching feeling, I, I feel restful and content knowing that I understand that I'm not home, but I don't necessarily need to be anymore. I can reframe this to be more of a journey that I'm having away from home. And when I'm done journeying here, then I'll go back home. So everywhere here, in essence, is temporary. Just as, you know, you think you find a home here, a building, but you're finding a building in time. And in time, even if you win something in time, time takes it from you. So even if you think you found home here, it will be taken from you. So it's futile. It's a useless endeavor to search for something that you can't keep anyway. Something inside me let go of that search. I feel more peace, I think, than I've than I was expecting. So I'm looking forward to having another experience. I'm very open to whatever the universe wants to communicate at this point. Because I think the memory of you know, drowning as a toddler, I had no memory of that. I only recalled stories that my mother had told me, but it was always bragging to her friends that she had saved me or whatever. But there was no... I had not indexed that memory. Wow. So recalling it on the day... Were you two or...? I must have been two, just barely old enough to walk, uh -huh. just in my diaper, just kind of toddling yeah. around, yeah. And uh, I've never been able to remember that far back. Wow. Ever. The first memory I can remember was I was four and I was trying... I was almost going to go into kindergarten and I used to look out the window and see my brother get, out of, get off the bus and come home. And I'd get so excited when he would come home. And that's, those are some of my first memories, wow. was that. Oh. Yeah, and then this was really, way, this was further back than anything. It was so vivid, it was so vivid that it was like, oh yeah, that, that's what happened. But it, it was helpful because I don't know how talk therapy can help you work through something you can't remember. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would probably require hypnosis or something else. Mm -hmm. But the way I had blocked that out, to me, seems kind of silly. I guess maybe protective mechanisms in there or whatnot. But that I couldn't remember that, but that I could remember the resentment. I don't understand how that works. But, but now, seeing everything in a more clear sense, I can see it's like when I go to solve problems, and this is even in any investigation or anything I've ever had to do, I call it the three F's, and they keep me from effing up. <laughs> and it's find the facts, filter the facts, follow the facts. And whenever I encounter any kind of problem, I immediately want to try and focus on the solution, get to the solution, so that I'm not dwelling on the problem. And I didn't realize how much of a problem I had been living in, because there were no facts for me to find, because there's no memory to recall. So I could never reach a point that I could focus on the solution of letting go of the resentment toward my mother 
until now. When I had my near-death experience, it was so wild. It was as if you have a program on your computer where you have something you want to ask Google, but you're not connected to the internet. So you type it in the bar, and the bar saves it for you. It caches it on your computer. And then when you connect to the internet, all of those cached queries that you've saved become answered wow. by Google. Some people call it a life review or whatever. Uh -huh. But when I was connected to the internet or connected to the source in my experience, from childhood until then, every curiosity I had ever wondered was answered and there was no more wonder. Yeah. I fell into a state of knowing and it felt like when you email a file you can zip it and send the zipped file. If you try to do stuff with a zipped file it doesn't do much. Data is compressed in a way that it's not very usable but if you unzip the file it can become larger and usable. And I had this feeling of being unzipped and this absolute state of connection is, it's wonderful. But anything that you wonder, at the speed of curiosity, it's answered before you can finish wondering it. I spent a hundred thousand years in a star and just listened to the pulse. And then I wondered, and then I would go somewhere else and I and I just wondered, and I went wherever the wonder led, led me, and I, I saw the universe begin, and it was absolutely quiet. It just opened like a dream. And I wondered why that is. Well, space doesn't have, it doesn't have sound, so everything opened as a dream, and I, I saw the dream open, and I've seen it close, and I've, and I realized, or was taught, that because this is happening, means that it can happen again. Mm -hmm. And because it can happen again, it means this has already happened. Mm -hmm. We can't see that here because we're characters in the movie. Mm -hmm. But this happens over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And outside of that, it's <laughs> that if, if I go home, if Matthew goes home, I come back again <laughs> as something else because as wondrous and delightful as it is to be in a state of knowing, it gets old. Mm -hmm. And you want to do this. <laughs> and so, so I created all of this. Mm -hmm. Because I could. And because I have nothing else to do. And so I just keep coming back here again and doing this over and over again. And, in my experience, I don't keep coming back as Matthew. You know, Matthew just has his time and then he goes, but, but I come back. And I'll come back as you and, and your husband. And after my experience, I realized that I was everyone because I'm knowing, I'm the source. Mm -hmm. And it is as if the source is like a body of water and the body of water remains, and in its magnificent, wondrous, beautiful,
process, it evaporates part of itself. And those vapors come out and eventually form into these small drops of water that fall through atmosphere back into itself. Mm -hmm. And as it passes through this atmosphere, it collects experience. Mm -hmm. And these drops of water are us. And when we expire, we become reabsorbed back into the source. But just as you can't go to the ocean and take or withdraw a, a drop of water that fell into it, you can't go to the source and pull Matthew back out again. So I'll come back again, but I come back again as a different drop. And my atmospheres that I've passed through have enabled me to lighten the turbulence of drops around me so that they're not so lost in that experience, I was shown that I hadn't been living my life correctly and I wasn't able to see what my true calling was because I was too distracted with injury. Since then, I knew that I had to get my life right. I was over 300 pounds. I was really, really unhealthy and I, I, wasn't, living, I wasn't living right. All the lawsuits and everything that I was representing myself in and... All of that was, um, for lack of a better term, karma. It was what my ego needed to uh, the ego's like a blister, and I had to pop the blister in order for the ego to go back down because my ego had risen so high. And the ego had built itself on resentment of my mother and, you know, all of these things that the ego thought it had figured out. And it was employing all of these protective devices from places that I didn't even recognize that harm had taken place. In this process, I learned how trauma works and what trauma is and how... I was taught so many things, but trauma is just experience. And once we can realize that it's just an event, then we can reframe things and not have to respond from a place of being traumatized. And the source taught me about my jealousy, my anger. Growing up, my parents never taught me about emotions or how they work, but they work like recipes. And they have components, like a, like, like a sailor tying a knot, where you... You know, you take the rope, you put it over this side, and then you put the, you create a loop with this side, and then you pull it through here, and then, then you have anger. And you do the same thing, and pull it through, and then you have jealousy. And I didn't understand the nature of us is to emote in response to pattern or in response to stimuli. And the emoting process of us is a, um, a warning. And when we're emoting things, that don't run consistent with love. That's the universe's love note to let us know that we need to take some corrective action. And jealousy, for instance, works where you're in a relationship with somebody and then you observe them flirting with someone else. That's a pattern. 
and in response to that stimuli, you can emote. If you believe that this person is the object of your love, it's terrifying to think that your love is going away. And the ego's response to that is to control the outcome of that loss, to you know, uh, punch the person, or you know, the person that, was, that they're flirting with, or mm-hmm. to control, because you want to bring that love back in. It's, it's, it's a horrific thought to lose that love. But if you can recognize that they only acted as a key or a catalyst that unlocked the love inside of you, then you don't have to emote jealousy. And anger has a relationship to justice. And it comes from an attachment to a specific outcome. And when the outcome doesn't manifest itself, we emote anger. And when you recognize where the attachment had been formed to the outcome, it takes away your anger because you can reframe it, just like with jealousy. You can reframe it so instead of emoting jealousy toward the scene, you can emote gratitude because you realize, I have the wrong key. And you can let that key go and then look for another key that unlocks the love that you have, that same love that's inside of you. And you can untie your naughty life. All of these principles I didn't know previously. I've never been exposed to these kinds of ideas about how I work, about how this body works. So coming back from that experience, I was being zipped back into myself. But before that, I, I had been out exploring the universe in wonder, and wonder. And then finally it came to me that if I remained in wonder too much longer, I would cut the tether that I had to this body. And I had an option to go ahead and release it, release the tether, or I could come back. And I remember saying that I didn't want to come back, that I didn't want to endure this life. I was shown that I had cancer. I was shown that my body needed a lot of work. It was going to take me years and it wasn't going to feel good. I was shown when I got cancer, how I got it, when it started, what moment it grew. I came back, not because I wanted to go through the process of cancer or any of that, but that I was shown the lives of my children and if I cut the tether and if I left and I saw the tragic results of my death at that time, what would happen? It was out of this, just this immense compassion toward different people in my life who would be impacted from my loss that brought me back. As I was coming back into my body, I, I remember crying out. I didn't want to lose the internet. I just don't want to lose this connector shit. And I couldn't, I, I couldn't remember, I couldn't remember everything. There was so much. I asked, how, how do I remember all of it? And there was, uh, it wasn't in words, it was just the message that, that don't worry, it's simple. How could it be simple? It's, it's so complicated. There's, there's so many factors, you squish a bug and it, you know, kill someone's grandma, like it's all connected and I, I can't see the connections and I was told just to always choose love and it will always provide the best outcome.
I've been trying to do that ever since then. It's hurt my heart that that message isn't received by some people, like mm -hmm. Katie, mm -hmm. sometimes now my teenage son. But truly, it's the only answer. I feel like my experience yesterday uh, freed me up to love more. And that's just wonderful. After my experience, I came back and still into the body that has, I had cancer. I had, my back had been broken and my leg was, my femur was laterally rotated and my hips were damaged and I had a lot of work to do, a lot of physical therapy. When was that injury? The near-death experience was just you at home. Yeah. I was, you yeah. were just on the couch. Correct. And so, okay. What had happened was I was suing my police department. I was uh, suing a, another police sergeant at the department. I was representing myself in my case against my first wife, the, the divorce. So I was representing myself in family court and then in court and I was so stressed out. Yeah. You're living in your car? Too, I was living right? in my car. I was working two jobs. I was working at night as a police officer and I was working during the day as a software engineer. Oh my God. I was working so much. I think it was the stress had me so worked up. And as these lawsuits were progressing, I realized we we're going to get to discovery. And then I wanted it to go to trial. I wanted a jury. Then it would mean that I'd have to call somebody on the stand to testify on my behalf, but I was suing my chief. I had crossed the blue line. I was blackballed by by everyone, so I realized I didn't really have anybody that I could call to testify on my behalf. So I would have to testify on my own behalf. That's not possible. Because <laughs> a thing can't define itself. It has to be defined by an outside source. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know about this one, but I learned about it later. It was like unto the koan where nobody can say where the universe exists. Because that requires an outside reference. But the minute you find an outside reference, that outside reference becomes part of the known universe. Uh -huh. So you're back in the beginning. And that's why nobody can say where this is. But wow. this place insists upon itself. So it is as me testifying on uh -huh. its own behalf. Uh -huh. And that is insanity. Uh -huh. So we say you can't do that in court, and yet we're doing this in life. Uh -huh. How can that logic not apply there and then apply here? So the whole thing is a dream wow. it, that's insisting upon itself. And in that, I ask myself every day for a year, every day for a year, multiple times a day, how can a man testify of his own innocence? And I did this for a year. And it was finally, I was pondering this while I was sitting on the couch. And I was so worked up in, a, in an absolute psychic frenzy of how can I pull this off? How can I make this real? It dawned on me that it's not real. And in this 
tremendous relaxation of letting go, of just letting it go, wow. and realizing that it's not real. That's when you slipped out. That's when I slipped out. Wow, amazing. And that's, that's when I had my wow. near-death experience. It was as if I finally got the right answer, and then I was welcomed to the source. But before then, I had to get to that. My ego had to let go. And when my ego realized there was no possible outcome where the ego would win, then my ego gave up and I surrendered and I had my experience. And it was after that that I, that then I heard the koan. Then I, then I learned that the universe isn't real. Then I learned that this is a dream, that this is a dream that I'm having. You're having, we're all having. This is a dream that the source is having and that it isn't real. It's very real to us because we're in the dream, but it's not. <laughs> that behind everything is love and that all of this is possible because of love. My calling is to heal people. And the only way to heal people is to bring them closer to the source because the source is love. And the opposite of the source is fear. Fear will promise safety. Fear will promise um, happiness, but it will never deliver because it's not capable of delivering. Fear keeps you on a treadmill chasing love, chasing safety. Build the wall, keep them out, lock the door, do this, do that, and it's a never-ending to-do list with fear. And if you're caught on the treadmill, the only way to make it to the source or to make it to love is through vulnerability. It's the only train ride to that pole on the other side of the spectrum. My calling is to share to people how to learn to be vulnerable in order to find the source. And that concludes my interview with Tanya during my healing yoga retreat to Mexico. I hope me sharing this with you helped to reframe some things because if you're feeling down or lonely understand that you're misunderstanding what's really going on and misunderstanding happens when the ego believes it's thought a thing through to its end but has stopped short of the point it's important for us to quiet the stream of thoughts that come through our minds because the truth of all things rests in the silence of the mind. And a quiet mind hears when the mind stops thinking. When we ask ourselves what we're feeling and why we're feeling it, that's the beginning of our healing journey. Because if you're not feeling, you're not healing. I look forward to talking with you again. Until then, take care of yourself and love without delay.